The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com. Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, working our way through the book of Deuteronomy, taking a little bit of a guided tour through the Ten Commandments. Very familiar territory to everyone who knows the Scripture, even to those who don't. Even to those who don't know much about the Bible, everyone knows something about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of Moses. Tonight's Scripture reading consists of four words. Even more noteworthy is that in the Hebrew, it's only two words. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19. You shall not steal. In the Hebrew, it says, never steal. Very clear. One of the most enduring legends in the history of folklore, and certainly in that of Great Britain, is that of Robin Hood. Since the 14th century, his popularity spread from England all the way around the world as one of the favorite folk heroes known. And why not? Who wouldn't want a hero to right the wrongs of an unfair world? His legend grew out of a time in England's history where the gap between the rich and poor was at its widest. Many scholars who doubt, there are many scholars who doubt that Robin Hood ever existed. His merry men probably didn't exist, but that hasn't stopped the legend from becoming a symbol of freedom, of independence, of resistance to tyranny, injustice, and inequity. But is it possible that lost in the fanciful tales of literature and myths surrounding the legend of Robin Hood, the question of whether or not what he was doing was actually right has been lost? The logic goes like this. The rich had more money. They had more money than they needed. The poor didn't have enough money and not enough money to even eat. So... It was ethically appropriate to steal from the rich so long as the proceeds were then given to the poor for honorable reasons. And fair Robin, as he came to be known in folklore, was applauded and his legend considered a tale of righteous judgment, righteous justice, righteousness executed. However... The legend of Robin Hood is a timeless example, I think, of how all of us can so easily justify something wrong and turn it into something that actually looks right. In other words, within all of our natures is the ability to justify in our minds what can only be defended by sinning. God said, do not Steal, you shall not steal. Someone has said this, the real reason why Robin Hood robbed only the rich was that the poor had no money. It's a good insight. In other words, a thief is a thief is a thief. Now, we've spent a few months kind of working our way through these 10 words of Moses, the the 10 commandments. The Bible is very clear that stealing is a sin. Nowhere more clear in the four words, you shall not steal. 
Somehow it sounds a little bit more authoritative in the King James, doesn't it? Thou shalt not steal. It's the same principle. The principles in God's word, the principles especially in the 10 words of Moses, the 10 commandments are intended to regulate the covenant community called Israel at the time. It was intended to work in two dimensions. It regulated the, the, the social system that was called Israel, but it also functioned as a way of demonstrating sanctifying grace for an Israelite. No one was ever saved by the refusal to steal. But those who were truly redeemed, the, when the true Israelites, the Israel who was Israel, the Jews who were truly Jews, did these commandments, enacted these regulations because they had already received salvation from God. It's important to remember, too, that the God of the Old Testament didn't, we have to watch our Trinity theology here, didn't just send Jesus, but remember that the God of the Old Testament is Jesus. It was God himself the second person of the Trinity involved with the first and the third, who was giving these regulations, who was giving these commandments. And this God who became a man in Jesus Christ, the message of the New Testament, is the incarnate God who spoke these words. But in knowing that Jesus Christ, the incarnate God of the Old Testament, the deliverer of the Israelites, as revealed in the prologue, is what connects us as Christians to the Ten Commandments. It is not a theological stretch. It is not a divinely enacted imaginary bridge to say this. Jesus Christ is the author of the Ten Commandments. Our Trinitarianism demands such a signature on these words. So we're connected to these Ten Commandments. Not as a way to get salvation, but just as Israel was applying the Ten Commandments, we are connected to them as a way of demonstrating a salvation already given by God. Now, these four simple words here in Deuteronomy 5, verse 19, are very simple and very easy to comprehend at first glance. Interestingly, as with the other nine commandments, there are no qualifications here, no footnotes given. The verse doesn't say, don't steal unless it's good for a good cause. The verse doesn't say, don't steal unless your employee is taking advantage of you. It doesn't say, don't steal unless you really want what you need or desire what you steal. There are no footnotes with the simple commandment, do not, you shall not steal. The simplicity of the commandment begs the question that we need to ask tonight. What would you do, what would you be willing to do to get what you want? What would you be willing to do to get what you want? At the heart of this commandment is this question, would you be willing to steal to get what you want? Would you be willing to steal and commit thievery to do what you think is right? Are you willing to steal information that's not in your own mind, that's called cheating, in order to get a better grade? Are you willing to not report income on your tax return in order to not pay so many taxes? Are you willing to download music off the internet that you never paid for because everyone else is doing it? Theft is a big problem in our world, and everyone pays for it. 
Did you know that over 7% of everything you spend on a commercial product goes to cover a business's losses in thievery and theft? Approximately $200 billion of material and time is stolen from employers every year. Retail stores lose over $30 billion a year from theft. Interestingly, 44.5% of this figure comes from employee theft, whereas only 32% comes from shoplifting. The biggest problem that, cons- that uh, uh, commercial industries have and stores have with thievery, with theft, is actually not from shoplifters, but from employees. The contemporary relevance of the English commandment, you shall not steal, should not prove difficult to understand to anyone. So I'd like us to back up a little bit this evening and look more closely at the, f- uh, the verse, the context around it, draw out the implications, and I think a few of them might be a little bit shocking when we look at the implications and applications of this simple commandment. Now, at first glance, the commandment is, is easy to land uh, in your lap, but it's easy to land in your lap, but can become very quickly a hot potato you, potato you want to throw to somebody else. You take a quick look at it, you toss it, right, toss it right or left, never thinking that it's for you, but I hope by the end of our time together this evening, you'll let it burn your hands with application. Well, background, when the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Uh, that's the, the, the most often quoted version of the scriptures that Jesus used. Translated this verse, it used this word, this Greek word, uh, klepto. Now, that should sound familiar. It comes from kleptomania, kleptomaniac, which is one who has an out-of-control problem with stealing. But the original Hebrew word is quite interesting and has more range than even that word klepto. If you go back to Exodus 21 and 22, it gives some indication of how the Israelites might have heard this commandment. For example, in that passage, in, verses, um, in chapter 21, verse 16, it's referred to kidnapping, stealing some other person. It's referred to stealing animals in 22.1 and 22.12. And it's referred to, referring to stealing any material thing that belongs to anyone else or a material thing that doesn't belong to you. The eighth commandment, do not steal, thou shalt not steal, is actually the third in a series of commandments which consists of only two Hebrew words, as I said earlier. But this grammatical construction uh, is extremely significant. Literally, you could translate this, no stealing, never steal. It's an all-inclusive coverage Don't steal goods, don't steal money, don't steal time, don't steal ideas, don't steal privacy, don't steal freedom, don't steal people, don't steal animals, and so on. The injunction applies to individuals, corporate groups, nations. No qualifier, you shall not steal. But this command penetrates far deeper into the lives of each of us, and the prohibition is bigger than simple theft. Of course, theft is forbidden, but something more specific and even more penetrating is implied as well. Remember the context of the 10 words of Moses, the 10 words of God in giving these regulations, these stipulations, these commandments to the people of God for the covenant community of Israel. Now, because of these commandments, they were to be obeyed and honored to regulate the nation, but also to regulate individual neighborhoods and Jewish communities. The key relationship that this is talking about, think about this, 
is primarily addressed to an Israelite in relation to another Israelite. Sure, it's broad. You should not steal. But think of it in the original context. He's saying, don't steal from people you know. Don't steal from people you live beside. Since the nation of Israel was to live separate lives from the rest of the surrounding nations, the only and first application of this for them was, don't steal from other Jews. Don't steal from your brothers, your fellow neighbors. Do not steal from anyone who's a part of the covenant community. Let's be more specific. This is worse than just general theft. This is theft from the spiritual family of God. Now, one of the more interesting implications of the commandment is found in one of the shades of the meaning of the word steal. Uh, The Hebrew word can be translated literally man-stealing or kidnapping. It's akin to selling a person uh, or making a profit off of a person. Deuteronomy 24-7 talks about this. The clearest example is that of Joseph. They stole or kidnapped, same word, their brother and sold him into slavery. Obviously, uh, the sin is not as final as murder, but it was effectively the same thing. Just ask Joseph's dad. It was an act in which one person assumed control of the life and fate of another person, stealing freedom at personal gain, running a person's life, which actually is only given to God as his right, Now, this narrow traditional understanding is held by many Orthodox Jews who interpret the Ten Commandments, but few Old Testament scholars would see it as narrow as just kidnapping. So let's think about property and possessions for a minute in the Old Testament. To really fully understand the force of this, you've got to put yourself way back in their sandals, wear their togas, understand what their culture was like. Property in the Old Testament was considered as a blessing of God. Read the book of Job. When his property was taken away, that was considered a curse. It was also considered a stewardship to be cared for. Why? Because the Lord owns and owned everything in heaven and earth. Psalm 24, 1. Psalm 115, verse 16. In the Old Testament, Israelites viewed possessions and property as a sign of the Lord's specific blessing in their lives. Furthermore, The wealthy were always implored to use their property, to use their riches, to use their their goods as a way to care for the poor. This is a fundamental um, message of the book of Ruth. Remember that story. She was able to take advantage of gleaning from the corners of the fields of Boaz. As a rich landowner, he was to leave some of the outskirts of his vineyards, the outskirts of his crops, so that people who were less than fortunate could come and take advantage of his property. That wasn't stealing. God actually says, if you're wealthy, be willing to give to those less fortunate. Think more specifically about the situation of these original 10 words. This is remarkable. There were no banks in Israel. That meant everything you owned was in your house. Possessions. There were no storage units that we know of in Israel. It was in your house. 
Your money was kept in your house, typically in a hole dug in, in a stove or something put over the top of it. Your property was right there. All was in your mud and brick or canvas tent. That ups the ante of thievery quite significant. Think about this also. There were no stores as we know of them. That's significant because the majority of theft was personal in nature. It wasn't just going down to Macy or JCPenney or Whole Foods or whatever and stealing something off the shelf. You were stealing from a person. A specific person which made it a personal transaction. Now, fundamentally, all stealing is personal because someone owns that stuff. But this went to a new level and another level than we typically think of. There's a significant difference between stealing from your neighbor and stealing from someone you don't know. And another thing that I think plays into this really importantly for us to understand, there was no such thing as insurance. The consequences of being the victim of a burglary were far more severe in Israel than they would be for us. When you lost something to a thief, you lost it with nothing to fall back on. Most of us who have homes have homeowner's insurance, right? Someone comes in and they, they steal something from my house. Even with a deductible, it's fundamentally replaceable. I know there are some things in photos and things that can't be replaced, but the truth is we have insurance to cover for thievery, for stealing. Not in this culture. When you had your money stolen, you went from being rich to being poor. There was no FDIC. You instantly changed classes. Thievery then, theft, was a very serious offense and very serious business. But notice how cohesive this prohibition is against thievery that fits in the Ten Commandments. Think about this. It's amazing how the ten words overlap. Uh, you can actually reach back and forth uh, through this eighth commandment and see some of its contextual implications. Think of it like this. Honor your father and mother. That's an admonition not to steal your father and mother's rights or dignity. You shall not murder. That's not stealing the person of life. You shall not commit adultery. That's the theft of the sanctity and purity of a marriage relationship. You shall not steal the theft of goods and possessions. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the thievery of someone's reputation. You shall not covet. That's the theft of security from your neighbor. Proverbs 9, 17. Stolen water is sweet. And the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. There's a thrill to stealing. Knowing that a person has stolen and gotten away with it brings an inner sense of satisfaction, especially to the unredeemed heart. Think about this. I once heard a man say, it's far easier to rob a million people of a dollar than to rob one man of a million dollars. But the culpability before the Lord is exactly the same. You have still stolen a million dollars. Well, there's really nothing to exegete. Not much exposition. You shall not steal. We could close in prayer, right? But we're not going to. I want to give you seven heart responses to the prohibition against stealing. Just for practical application, seven heart responses to the prohibition against stealing. 
The first one is this. Be contented by the divine ownership of everything. Be contented by the divine ownership of everything. That's the starting point. Psalm 24, verse 1, we referred to it earlier. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 115, verse 16. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth is given to the sons of men. In other words, God owns everything and everything we have is by stewardship as a gift on loan from God. No one really steals from another person. We're really stealing from the Lord. If we know that everything belongs to God, it changes our perspective about things. It changes our perspective about people. We can enjoy the things as blessings from the Lord. We can let them go when they go because God has ordained it. I have a good friend who has, uh, he, he is a man of means. He, the Lord has blessed him financially. And I've seen him give so much money away and I've seen him lose money. And he always says the same thing. It's just money. And it belongs to the Lord. Great perspective. So what? So we have to be content. Let me ask you again. What are you willing to do to get what you really want? Are you willing to steal? Don't let the lust for anything interfere with your satisfaction in Christ and understand that your possessions are on loan from the Lord. You've heard it before. You're not going to take it with you. Secondly, be horrified by the relational damage of exploitation. Be horrified by the relational damage of stealing, of exploitation. As we noted earlier, there's a hidden inherent Hebrew uh, idea in the word steal, which is to take advantage of someone, to steal dignity or to, to steal uh, respect from a person. And for our purposes, the application finds its arena in the exploitation of others. Why? Because when you take advantage of others in an exploitive sense, you're really robbing them of time and energy and resources that could be used for other purposes under the providential care of God. Now, we need to say something here about stealing time from God that God intends for us to use for His glory. Implied in this commandment, is a lesson on time management for the glory of the Lord. To waste time is to steal from God, is it not? God has given us so many minutes to live. I was reading Edwards, uh, no, I was talking to Kim about reading Edwards uh, just last week, and he has that image in the sinners in the hands of the angry God about the day of our death. He says this, the arrow that will pierce our bodies, metaphorically, the arrow that will kill us has already been put into flight. It's a thought, isn't it? The arrow that will take our life is already in the air in God's providence. Changes your perspective on time. What would you do if you knew you had a week to live, a month, a year, a decade, 70 years? It's as if when we were born, the doctor could have come and told our parents, there's nothing I can do, 60, 70, 80 years tops, your child is dying. You only have, read Psalm 90, an appointed number of days. And here's the reality. You can never get back time that you've stolen from the Lord. Do not steal is pretty generic. 
but it especially applies to us and God. Thirdly, be sensitized by the fair principle of remuneration. Be sensitized by the fair principle of remuneration, getting money for your goods. You might want to fasten your seatbelts a little bit for this heart response to stealing. I know I had to. Let me ask you some questions and give you some insights. You ever compare giving away company, do you ever give away rather a company's goods where you work? You know what that's called? Stealing. Do you, have you plagiarized in your studies? There's a word for that. What's the word? Stealing. Do you take things from where you work for your own use? No matter what the justification and without permission, that's called stealing. Now, let's just say this. There there are situations where um, if your employer says, hey, you can have this or you can take that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about doing this on the sneak, where you just justify, we justify taking things because they take advantage of us or You fill in the blank. Do you have a habit of borrowing and not returning things? That's called stealing from my library, seminary students. No, we'll we'll talk about that another time. You ever neglect to pay a bill that has been forgotten by a debtor? That is called stealing. Do you arrive late at work, you know what that's called? Stealing. I got to talk to our young people for a minute. It's predominantly a generational sin, but do you make copies of music, CDs, MP3 downloads for yourself or others when no money was paid for that product? It's called stealing. Downloading music from the internet that you've not paid for, that wasn't intended to be free. Some websites do that. That's thievery. I want to challenge those of you in junior high and high school and college because that's this issue of stealing copyrighted music and copyrighted movies and watching entire movies on YouTube because they're free. It's stealing. Do you think people put out music or do some kind of production for the intended purpose of it being free? It's stealing. Don't rationalize that you're helping someone, that you're helping get the word out, that you're enjoying their expression of art. No, you're stealing. It's illegal. Don't distribute copies of commercial music, students. If you, want to really, if you really want to band's music and they aren't offering it for free, then you show their support, by, show support by, by, by paying them for their music. Don't steal. Fourthly, be awakened to the progressive nature of compromise. You've got to be careful with this. Be awakened to the progressive nature of compromise. Know this. Few people make major compromises in a moment's decision. 
My former pastor, John MacArthur, used to always say this. When a man falls into sin, he doesn't fall very far. He's been leaning that direction a long time. It's almost unthinkable that someone, that a Christian, would walk into Walmart and say, I want that, pick it up, put it in their pocket, and walk out. But it would be that conceivable that, well, I'm going to listen to that CD and see if I like it, then I'll buy it later. You listen to it for a month, decide you, you're tired of it, and you never buy it. Or that you would need pins at home, so you take a box from the closet at work. Or that you would, and you fill in the blank. Those little compromises have a progressive nature in severing the connection between our conscience and our decisions. Small trails of compromises are always in the wake of bigger decisions of compromise. So we need to wake up to the fact that little compromises in our life make make a huge difference. Fifthly, be traumatized by the salvific implications of theft. This is important. Be traumatized by the salvific, salvation, salvific implications of theft. Why? Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He begins to talk about those who are, this is the roll call of hell. Those who are going to go to hell. This is the roll call of those who will go to hell. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor thieves. Listen to that in the context. Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then that great, great verse of hope. And such were some of you. You were that way, but now you've been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That's how you used to be. When you get saved, you don't steal any longer. It's very clear. Unsaved people have no issue with stealing or not as much as others. Any kind of thievery should bother us. Should prick our conscience. Revelation 9:20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, speaking of the, tri- of the tribulation, did not repent of their works of their hands, so as to not worship demons, the idols of gold and silver, or brass of stone and wood, which neither can see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. The point is that those who steal are considered by Scripture unbelievers. It's pretty simple. Now let me say again, if your employer has given you some leeway on the... That's okay as long as it's been communicated. Number six, be freed by the unimaginable riches of salvation. This is ultimately the answer of for why not to steal, is you're freed up by the riches in salvation. Just read Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. We have been given so much as believers in Christ. What else do we need to be happy? What would you do to get what you really want? And the answer is we have everything we want. Really have everything we need. You know, the thought of heaven is sometimes incredibly frightful for people because they realize they're going to have to leave stuff here. Can I suggest 
that the best stuff ever enjoyed will be that in heaven enjoyed to the glory of God. Heaven won't be bland. Heaven won't be boring. Anything you can imagine enjoying now will be better in heaven. Number seven. Lastly, be motivated, motivated by the refreshing hope of repentance. This kind of leads us where we need to go for preparing our hearts for the Lord's table. Be motivated by the refreshing hope of repentance. Here's the truth. All of us are thieves in our hearts. All of us are thieves. We, we steal. We, we even, even as simple as taking credit for something, saying a line that someone says, oh, that's funny, and not even giving the credit for someone to someone. We, we, we're constantly stealing, but there's hope from repentance. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and return in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I got to tell you, I love, I just am overjoyed by the picture we get in Luke chapter 19. Just listen as I read this account. Luke 19, verse 1. And Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax gatherer and was rich. The other... Scripture, uh, gospel writers tell us because he stole taxes. He was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd. For he was small in nature. Go ahead, go ahead and with the jokes. I get it. When we were in Israel, we were, uh, we were traveling around. There was a sycamore tree, and they said, "We need someone short to get, to climb the tree to illustrate this." And guess who climbed the tree? He ran out of head and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was able to, about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they all saw it, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. I think it's Matthew who says, Who's a thief. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half my possessions I will give to the poor. If I have defrauded, the word means stolen from, anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. So what are we to do? What would you do, what would you be willing to do to get what you want? The answer should be nothing that would displease the Lord. Nothing that would displease my Savior. You shall not steal. I think the question isn't, do you steal? The question is, in what ways do we commit thievery that God would identify as not only inappropriate, but as sinful? Would you bow for just a moment? As you do, it's the perfect lead-in to us coming to the Lord's table. I'm going to ask the men, our elders, 
they would come and prepare to service. You know, as we've said over and over at, at Mission Road Bible Church, the, the communion is really our checkpoint. That's when we stop and say, you know, wh- where, where is the, the direction of my life pointing? H- how am I doing? Am I, am I in the same place at this accounting of my soul before the Lord as I was last month when we did this? Some of us in some categories would say I'm exactly in the same place. And you know what's great about this table? It's not for perfect people. It's for sinners who know they're sinners. It's just a time to repent. And for those of us who've seen some traction, it's a way to get more. You will never come to this table to celebrate Christ's death for sin without sin. Just won't. This is a time not of shining our souls that are perfect. This is a time of examining our souls that have been cleansed by the blood of the one who died for us on the cross. It's a celebration of the gospel. Tonight, we're going to have some extended meditation. In a moment, I'm going to pray. The men are going to pass the bread. And when they do, Aaron's just going to play. And we're going to do that old-fashioned thing that very few people do anymore. We're going to think. I'm going to pray. During the passing of the bread, I want to ask you just to enter into a time of confession. Just look at your life. What can you confess to the Lord that he already knows about? Sins of stealing, sins of thievery, sins of lust, sins of omission, not doing what we should, commission, doing what we shouldn't. Sweet verse, 1 John, if we confess our sins. He's what? Faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins, and I love the word all, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's good news. So take the time to confess, knowing that the one whom you're confessing sins to not only knows, but smiles with the grace of forgiveness. And also with that restored, unmitigated fellowship that our sin has created between us and him. Father, as we turn our attention to examination now, we want to do that so that we can celebrate your son's sweet and precious and painful and poignant and undeserved death on our accounts. We don't come as perfect, Father. You know that. You see our hearts. You know the sins that I'm thinking about in my own life right now. We come as those who need to be renewed in our sense of forgiveness, washed fresh with sanctifying grace. So give us memories to confess and souls to enjoy the ravishing glory of your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com.